Hey beautiful soul, this is the Menopause Coach Podcast with me, your host, Adele Johnston. I'm helping you create a vibrant life of joy and happiness without your menopause stealing your personal power and sass. Together, we're making menopause mainstream. Things you think when you're tired at bedtime, yeah, or in the middle of the night, the things that you think you, you, the life decisions you might make then just don't, just, just no. do like, I'm yeah. going to come back to this in the morning. Welcome back to another episode of the Menopause Coach Podcast, where I am your host, as always, Adele Johnston. And today I am joined by a very special guest, a guest who I have known for a good couple of years now and is a beautiful expert within the sleep space. Welcome to the Menopause Coach Podcast, Lucy Shrimpton, Sleep Nanny. Hi. It's such a pleasure to have you join us. And I am really, really excited, both from a personal perspective, but also from a listener's perspective and being able to come together and do this episode today because you are all things knowledgeable within the space and the world of sleep. So please introduce yourself to our listener. Thanks so much, Adele. Yeah, I am actually totally obsessed with the topic of sleep, (laughs) the way our brains work generally, and sleep's a big part of that. So yeah, I am Lucy Shrimpton. I founded The Sleep Nanny back in 2013. And that came really through an obsession of sleep through having babies myself and experiencing the disruptions that naturally having babies causes to one's sleep. And it didn't really stop there. I couldn't put this subject down. I had some life transforming learnings uh, through little one sleep and the way sleep develops. And it's really then shaped the entire business um, with with the Sleep Nanny, which is now a a franchise. So that's kind of how I got into this. And I love this conversation. I love this topic. Like I could talk all day long about sleep and all the interesting things that go on while we sleep, why we sleep, how we sleep and, and everything. So yeah, I'm more than happy for you to pick my brains and explore whatever I can help you with today. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, you might live to regret that because I have a lot of questions. (laughs) So yeah, and it's this whole thing of, you know, sleep is just something we do, right? And and when you think about if, if anybody here is, you know, blessed as being a parent and you've watched babies sleep, they seem to do a lot of that at the very start of our of life, right? And then we go through phases where they hit teenage years and they just don't want to go to sleep. So why do we sleep? Why do we need to sleep? We need to sleep for survival. It's literally something that is essential. It's as essential as food and water. It's right there in Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the foundation of the pyramid with our essential living, breathing needs. And quite honestly, we we won't live without sleep. There have been experiments. The longest anybody has ever survived on zero sleep is 11 days. And that was not without extreme consequence. We literally need to sleep to survive, putting it brutally honestly. But there are some phenomenal things that go on while we sleep that I think we often underestimate. There are the more known things like uh, cell replenishment. And this is why we're taught, you know, if we're not very well to go to bed and get some rest, because actually through rest, cells replenish and we get better. And that's sort of a more known thing. But there are things that we don't even realise that go on during sleep. For example, Um, spinal fluid actually washes through the brain and clears it of uh, toxins. So it's like a car wash for the brain. 
um, every night when we sleep. And we need that to flush out the toxins that build up in the brain. Um, there, there are so many things that happen when we sleep. I could, I could list off lots for you. But we do underestimate this. And I'm sure that you'll have listeners and we all have friends and family. And we know lots of people who will say, oh, I don't need much sleep. I've, I've always survived on like very little sleep. I'm okay without much sleep. The truth is, most people that do, that say that, that is not without negative consequences, either now or later in life. So whilst they might think they're okay on little sleep, they won't know the negative impact that that might be having on their body or on their health um, that may not even surface until later down the line. So we really do need our sleep. It's highly important. Mm. Hearing you say it like that, it makes us understand a little bit more around 11 days without sleep equal death and actually not not having adequate amounts of sleep. I, I, I remember this and, I, and it takes me back to like my corporate years of flying down to London on the red eye flight and, you know, getting to bed quite late the night before and then having to get up really early working a long day, entertaining in the evening, you know, not really having that much sleep. And it became this whole piece of like a bit of a badge of honor almost that, yeah, I only need around four to five hours sleep per night. When is that, is there any truth in that? Is there only some human beings that only ever need that amount? Because we hear this whole benchmark of we should aim for eight hours sleep per night. Yeah, it's eight hours is a bit of a myth. um, And I'll explain more about that. But I think you touched on a really valid point there about this badge of honor in corporate, but also in entrepreneurship. There's this this mentality of like crushing it, hustle, hustle, work hard. And that, you know, you, you have to do these things to get ahead in life. And actually the opposite is true. You know, that will lead more likely to health problems, burnout and less income actually than if we get more sleep and take care of our well-being so it's a culture it's a that badge of honor status I think that is I'm hoping slowly fading and people are taking more time for themselves and awareness of their you know their own needs and, and mental well-being and there's lots of there there is a lot more attention on that these days but there are still plenty of people who are like it's fine I don't sleep yeah eight hours is a is a bit of a myth but it's not a million miles off it's kind of in the middle because actually most of us really need between seven and nine. So that may be, you know, it, but this whole, like, I've got to get my eight hours, not necessarily. We, we cycle in three hours. So if we, if we fell asleep and then cycled through sleep till we woke up, that wouldn't equate to eight exactly. And we do all have wakings. That's the other thing to be, you know, it's okay to wake. It's just to varying degrees. Sometimes we say, oh, I don't wake up at all. You do, you just don't realize it. So it's a very mild waking others will wake up fully and be very aware of that waking but our cycles go in three hour loops roughly and some of us after seven hours we are fine we're rested we're done we're good to go others will need more like nine and there's a bit of a worrying to that but when it comes to this I'm fine on four or five hours the fact is it's very very rare and anyone that is actually genuinely fine on that it is actually a genetic mutation that makes that possible and so it's unlikely it's unlikely that that somebody is actually truly fine without negative consequence so I would be saying to people and I do get you know people do go oh are you sure I need that much I would be saying 
tried your best to carve out space for seven hours as your minimum. And if you get the opportunity, a great, you know, a great experiment is to go away for two weeks, if you can, and to just literally have as much, go to bed at the same time every night and sleep for as long as you need. And you'll find out what your, your kind of average need is. I know that mine is actually nine, but I don't, I don't normally get that in the average week with home and work and school and life but I do try to make sure I get my minimum seven yeah which is probably a nice way of looking at it because you mentioned around you know giving yourself the opportunity for that it's like this we refer to it as your sleep opportunity whereby we might not necessarily be asleep at you know 10 p.m at night for example but if we can start our sleep opportunity window and understand that we really need that wind down we encourage our ladies to even set a little bit of a reminder in their their phone that will go off to say yes it's like sleep time and that gives us that permission to wind down to stop doing what we're doing to you know start the bedtime routine really because it's not just as simple as jump into bed fall straight asleep well for most and actually even if it is because that sometimes is the case for me if I'm honest I will just go oh go to sleep now and I do but that's not always a good thing and actually that can be a sign of fatigue and and of exhaustion they call it you know the latency and actually if you are asleep in under three minutes that's not I mean it might feel easy and everything to go to sleep but it's actually a sign that you are lacking somewhere in sleep or in recovery so we don't really ideally want it to be quite that quick we don't want to be struggling but yeah somewhere between five and 15 minutes is quite a a nice amount of time to settle but you're absolutely right it's not just about that time that you are zonked out it's about the time leading up to that and that counts you know that's good that's good credit in your sleep tank because the winding down um the you know ideally not being on screens and having those sort of rituals that help prepare us for sleep um in the evenings they do they do really really count towards our overall recovery because they will help things like the heart rate to start to come down and steady body temperature regulation and we're then more likely to have quality sleep so even if it is 7 hours of actual sleep it's going to be really good quality because the heart rate can come down and stabilize earlier, um, meaning that you're going to be more replenished. So I'm being obsessed with this. I, I experiment and I check on myself. I wear an aura ring and I, I track that. And I've spotted that I could have nine hours of sleep and wake up less well recovered than seven hours of sleep and be really well recovered if the quality is different. And there are factors that will affect that so it's it's not just quantity it's quality and quantity you could be having lots and lots of sleep and but never wake up feeling refreshed and maybe there's something else going on you know maybe there are things that are causing a raised heart rate through the night that um you know not giving you that replenishment maybe there could be some sleep apnea going on that's a common one that slips through the neck and people don't realize that they're actually suffering with a sleep apnea and having those pauses in breathing and so they're staying in lighter sleep so they're waking up like I'm tired all the time no matter how much I get it's like "Mm, something's going on there yeah I mean this is quite you mentioned about you know having some really focusing on the quality of sleep And, and the first thing that comes into my mind is how can we control that? If maybe control is the wrong word. How do we influence sleep quality? When I'm thinking about as a perimenopausal woman and a woman going through the, the stages of menopause, 
it's one of the biggest challenges and that no matter sometimes I can have on paper the perfect bedtime routine with the most abundant sleep opportunity, but my body has other other plans for me. And, you know, things like very vivid dreams can start to come in and wake me up from those sleeps. So how can we influence those quality factors? Yeah, you're right to say influence, definitely, because sometimes no matter what we do, right, things just creep in. But things that you can do to really stand yourself in great stead with that are being mindful, first of all, of the things you can control. So such as not having a really heavy late meal that can create elevated heart rate and and it actually can influence then how the mind starts to work. So there's these, um, I don't actually know how much truth there is, but if you have cheese late at night, you're going to have bad dreams. It's not that, but it's just more likely to be what it does to your cycles, sleep cycles, that is. So things like not eating a heavy meal too late, alcohol and caffeine, they are both things that do impact our sleep and our brains so even though you may be somebody who is like yeah but I can have a coffee after my meal in the evening and I still fall asleep easily um what I would say is sure maybe but that caffeine is still swimming in your brain in the night which is likely to have an impact on the quality of your sleep so whilst you may have no difficulty getting to sleep the quality of sleep could be impacted or you might find you wake up in the night and then struggle to resettle. So just being mindful of those factors that you might not think are a problem. Exercise is another one. So yes, I mean, I would take exercise any time of day over none. So it's like, you know, done is better than perfect. But if you can put more intense exercise into the earlier part of the day, Uh, Not only will that then have great benefits on the body because that has an impact all day long so that you're still working and uh, still working for you all day long, but also it prevents things like the elevated heart rate and things in the night. So, again, I've met lots of people who say, yeah, but I exercise in the evening and it's great and then I feel like I can wind down. Fine, as long as you've got enough time afterwards to relax, to wind down, to bring everything back down and to to be in that good state for for sleep. And one of the other benefits with exercise in the morning, kind of similar to daylight in the morning, is you're helping to train your body and teach your body clock, your circadian rhythms. It's like, ah, this is the time in 24 hours that I feel energized and I'm up and and it's go time. So getting light in our eyes daylight ideally sunlight so i'm not suggesting you all look at the sun (laughs) protect our eyes but actually just getting that that sunlight into our eyes and the retina taking that in and the messages that go through our spines and everything early in the day will help to then it tells the brain this is morning this is wake up time it's time to go and then what will happen is it's almost like the clock the clock starts and so then your sleep pressure builds up through the day and you feel more ready um, for sleep time in the evening when when that time comes around so if you if you do find that that's a struggle you're like I just don't feel tired that's the kind of thing that will help and will um, encourage sleep to be in good sync so I suppose then would it help and my mind's starting to think about okay so logically how do we do this if we've got then winter time so we're in Scotland at the moment it's still winter dark when we're waking up we don't have that natural sunlight that's waking us up would we be advisable then to get as much 
artificial light as possible as early as possible. So we wake up, we pop the bedside lamp on and get used to that light before we then maybe pop on the bigger lights and get as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. So the first and best option is sunlight, but we don't all live in sunny California. Um, so the best option is um, is sunlight. The next best is any kind of daylight, natural light. And then, like you say, right now, where we are in the UK, it's not light early enough anyway. Um, and so, yeah, artificial light is then our sort of third best option. Um, so, yeah, um, and actually, I am a massive fan, and I use this every day throughout winter, of a sunrise lamp. Um, so I actually have that, it's on my windowsill, so it kind of mimics as if, you know, where the light would come into the room. And there's, at the moment, there is no light when I when I start my day, but that it starts really like dim and it gradually warms up and, and gets brighter and brighter. You set the time that you obviously want it to. And that wakes me every morning. Now I have an alarm as a backup, just in case for any reason I've gone to sleep with an eye mask on or I'm not aware. Um, but it, I'm normally awake before the alarm because the sunrise lamp has roused me. And it's such a nice way to to wake up. It feels so much more gradual. It's an alarm interrupting deep sleep is painful. Like that's why we feel groggy and like, oh no, stop, snooze button. Like, oh, it's annoying being woken from a deep stage of sleep. Without an alarm, we would naturally wake up after light sleep so it would feel better. And this is like the next best thing because the sunrise lamp will gently ease you from deep sleep through into light sleep. So it doesn't feel quite as irritating when the you know, the alarm clock goes off. So I highly recommend that to help as well. Yeah, amazing. Well, we'll maybe um, pinch your recommendation and pop the link to that lamp in the show notes just so that we can help everybody. We want to make life as easy as possible so we don't need to go searching for things. <laughs> amazing. Okay, so one of the things then that really sparks my interest around sleep is when we think about, so really your area of expertise within sleep, you work with a lot of parents for children that are are, are maybe disrupted within sleep or not having great sleep. Um, but the reason that I wanted to chat with you inside this episode is because regardless of whether we're working with infants and babies or we're working with, you know, adolescents and adults, the concept of sleep is that vital component of survival. And for many listening to this now, they'll be saying, yeah, this is all fine and well, but I'm doing everything. I'm textbook. I've got everything in this textbook going to plan. And yet I'm still not sleeping well. So we know that hormones play a role, a big role within that. What would you say if, if we were to go into this kind of theme now, this lens of adult and sleeping, what would you say is the biggest challenge that we face when it comes to, yes, you may be following the textbook and ticking all the boxes, so the checklist is a 10 out of 10, but you're not actually falling asleep well, staying asleep well and feeling rested. What's the biggest challenge that we see come through for that in adults? Yeah, with adult sleep, the biggest, I guess, cause or root problem behind sleep challenges is stress and of course stress can come in many shapes and sizes not all stress is bad stress but it is the number one cause of sleep issues and a hundred percent with menopause and other stages in life and things hormones do 
play a part, not just in women, you know, there are various hormone deficiencies and things that men experience that also impact their sleep. So yes, hormones do have their their place for sure. And some of those do require a medical expert or hormonal expertise to correct. So I will say that for sure. But what I would suggest is any adult, to be honest, any adult is that eliminate all the other things first, because what we don't want to do is unnecessarily medicate or go down a path that actually, we're even if we do that, we're still going to have problems because of these other factors that we haven't actually addressed, which might be more simple to address. So as I say, stress comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes and forms, but it can also be common around the menopausal stage in life that children are growing up, maybe they're teenage or they're leaving the home or they're off to university and life just shifts and brings about new stresses, new worries, navigating new territory um, in terms of maybe parenting or it's just a different phase and there are adjustments to make to that. So it's, it's worth checking in, like actually is there something that has shifted that's causing me a little bit of anxiety or stress or you know heightened just levels of concern because sometimes it's that and it it could be something on the mind that can cause night wakings and I know we've talked about this before and I think you and I both have a a bit of a technique for brain dumping bedside bedside brain dumping to like just make sure you empty anything that's on your mind so this is the less stressful things but just the thoughts and the things that you're like ah and if you put it on paper then you can, your brain has the freedom to let go of it and trust that it can go to sleep because you've put it over there. And that's a, a nice just strategy for anybody. Along with things like night sweats and hot flushes, which can also disrupt our sleep, you could say that it's a period in life where you almost you've got a whole mixed bag of potential sleep disruptors going on from the hormones to the night sweats to the you know these temperature changes the the thoughts that are going on in our minds the new worries that there's there are so many things so I'm trying to kind of share as many as I can to enable people to kind of to go go deeper and have a little think on those and think well actually maybe that is applicable for me and not to just rule them out but actually really explore that as yeah it, you know with stress it's funny because half the time we don't know that we're stressed until we're out of it And then we look back and go, gosh, yeah, it was really quite, there was a lot weighing on me and I didn't really realize it because we soldier on and we, you know, that's how we're designed. So it's, I think, being really kind to yourself and, and having that sense check and exploring the things that maybe feel like nothing to you, but maybe they are actually, yeah, creating that added layer of stress doesn't have to be toxic stress but just something that could be pressing on you there was a lot going on it's definitely a a kind of stage in life where you know we we see it time and time again and we can get our our ladies into like a really healthy sleep state so if we were to look at it on paper we're like you know everything is great and then all of a sudden nothing changes but we're not able to give them a roadmap or a blueprint of, you know, on this date at this time, your estrogen levels or estradiol are going to take another drop and that's going to have an impact on sleep. And actually your progesterone is going to fall again. So that sedative style effect that we get from progesterone isn't going to be as great for your sleep. There's all things that start to come up from this. And 
not just the emotional and but also the physical symptoms of what menopause can bring as well. Let's move on a little bit then too, because this is a question we get asked quite a lot as well is around, well, what can I take for that? And I'm sure you get asked this a lot because as humans, we tend to want those instant gratification resolutions around, well, surely there's like a pill or a supplement that helps me with that. And I'm very, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I love to be corrected with this, but I'm very consciously biased to sleep aids. So when we talk about, you know, sleeping pills, for example, I've had many of the ladies that have come to us that have either been on them when they've onboarded with us and we've worked with them to come away from sleeping pills. Um, Because again, the research and the reading that I have personally done around them is that they're not actually giving you sleep. So if that feels like a fun rabbit hole to dig into together today... I would invite your opinion around that to see whether, you know, I might be a little bit too bougie around that or actually, yeah, you're completely right, Adele. It's, it's not the best thing to do if we're not sleeping well to turn to sleep aids. What's your stance on that? Yeah, do you know, I think it's really interesting because firstly, most of my work has been around children's sleep and so it's all behavioral and and actually there's nothing wrong with them and they don't need fixing it's just about parenting strategies to encourage the best possible development of healthy sleep as because it is something they develop we we develop our sleep skills and often poor sleep in infancy leads to poor sleep in adulthood through habits so I am I guess far more educated and have more expertise in behavioral based solutions as opposed to supplementations and and medicine and that's not I'm not going to pretend that's my field but what I will say is that some things you can take uh, there's a place for everything by the way you know there's a time and a place for everything for the right person but some things can have other impacts or other effects so it's like you know okay if I have this to improve this is it going to cause a hindrance somewhere else like could it increase um, blood pressure or could it you know could it do something else that's not helpful for my health so that kind of thing but also and there are, there are lots of natural aids as well that support healthy sleep you know we've got a really lovely essential oil fragrance that is a, a lovely sleep enhancer with chamomile and lavender and all these lovely scents now that's not going to magically put you to sleep but it certainly will help there are melatonin um gummies cbd gummies that people now can readily have which may assist it's again it's not it's not really my area of practice it's not I'm not somebody that sort of prescribes that sort of solution because I work with I work with behavioral solutions and I've heard people who have said it's amazing really helps them I personally um, have ADHD and I know other women of our kind of age that that do and that have found it really helps them because the ADHD also adds to their sleep challenges. Personally, I don't have that challenge, but I know people that do. And they've said, yeah, best thing ever really helps. So I'm a little bit like, I'm not very helpful here because I don't I don't sit very strongly in one camp with this. But I think the thing I do feel really passionate about is getting to the root, getting to the root of the problem and addressing that rather than masking. And I feel, I think I feel like that about everything though in life. Like I'd rather find out why is this happening and what can I do to prevent it happening rather than sticking a band-aid on it kind of effect. And, and I, I do, I feel like that about everything really. So if it's the right thing 
and there is a place for that. I think because of what I do, we sadly do see too many children prescribed melatonin unnecessarily. And that is a frustration because parents don't know any different. The doctor, it's their go-to, often say, not all of them, but often will say, leave them to cry or here's some melatonin. And, and it's like, no, why just, why does it have to be one extreme or the other? It's really not necessary. And that's frustrating because actually they're, they're children or babies and actually they just need some support in the development of healthy sleep. And so that is frustrating. But in adulthood, there, there can be other factors and there, there, is, a, there is a place for everything. But yeah, it, what, what if, you know, what if you didn't need that aid if you did these two or three habit changes. Yeah, there lies the challenge though, right? Because again, you and I work with the public, we work with people. And what we tend to find a lot is if there is a bit of effort and work and change that's required, this isn't, you know, this is this is human nature, right? We're, we're kind of a bit adverse to change because we automatically think, well, I'm going to have to put in a lot of effort and work here and that isn't going to be easy because my life is busy. I don't have time for this. And we will hear it quite often a lot where people will want the outcome, they'll want the result, but actually it's, there's no quick fix to this. There's no, you know, two weeks and this will resolve your problem by taking this thing or doing this, this one thing. Do you find that that's the case when you think about improving sleep, that there's multiple different factors to improving it? There are. And and you're right. The, I, I think, yeah, you're right. We all want the quick fix for everything, right? If we could take something to sleep better, brilliant. Take something to quickly drop a few pounds and feel like we could really light on our feet. Then brilliant. Like all the things we would love to enhance quick and easy. And sometimes it is it is really necessary. It's like we need, we, we have this with parents as well. We're like, okay, right now, we're gonna, this is what we're going to do because we just need to get you better rested and in a fit state to be able to actually properly address this problem. So sometimes we do need that help, but probably not long term. And so the, you can, I mean, you can improve sleep relatively quickly with some habit and behavioral changes, though. And I think that's the it's the willingness to make those shifts that for the greater good and doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be like really, really difficult. It, it might just be things, it's a certain amount of discipline, like, okay, I just need to get to bed by this time. And, and that's on me, you know, I just need to turn off Netflix and go to bed. It's not that hard. Falling to sleep and getting back to sleep can feel really, really hard for especially for adults if they are stuck in a cycle where that is a big problem for them and that can be really frustrating I, I agree so I would say look, give yourself even just give yourself a week to 10 days of trying things a different way trying some of our, our sleep fixes like the the bedside brain dump the having an hour before bed of, of pure wind down and just setting up some rituals. They're really lovely things to do. They're not hardships. So like just having a week to 10 days of, of being able to say hand on heart, I did that every day and just see and track like, okay, I'm seeing some improvements. This bit maybe is still a bit difficult. Let's see what else, what else do I need to do? But I don't even think with with certain sleep aids it's not like brilliant I'll have that and boom the problem is gone tomorrow because for how long yeah and then there's this whole piece that came out wasn't it around well actually you're not you're not actually sleeping 
when you have these pharmaceutical supports. Um, and they do, you're, you're right, they do have a, a place and a space in life. You know, I'm just thinking about if we have someone who's been through quite a traumatic event or, you know, a bereavement, a loss, then this may give them some respite from the constant grief and allow the brain some time to just be a bit more numb. When we think about then building on these habits and looking at the kind of quality and quantity of sleep factors, if I was to ask you what your top three tips would be for our listeners today thinking, do you know what? Yeah, I'm that person. I'm struggling with my sleep. I'm not rested. You know, I'm trying. What would be the three things? Because I think, you know, my brain works really well in the power of three, but then we normally will always say pick one. So three things, pick one and then build upon and bring the others in. What would your three be? The top three, and I, yeah, there are lots, but the top three as in the starting blocks. So if you tick these off and you need more, then that's fine. I can give you more. But the first place to start with the top three would be, I'll give you one for each time part of the day, would be morning routine. So the way you start your day has an impact on your nighttime sleep. So just the morning piece, waking up at the same time every day, if you can. Try not to do mammoth lions at the weekend. Try and keep it consistent as, as much as possible. So starting the day at the same time, light into your eyes, some energy, some movement would be really good there. So morning routine. The second one would be sort of just your in, in the day, just think about what you put into your system. So the biggest ones that impact sleep are caffeine and alcohol. There are other things, but they are things that you might not think have an effect, but they do. And and if you have any kind of sleep tracking um, devices, you'll probably notice that when you have had those or, you know, if you've had, for me, it's more than, a, if I have more than a glass of wine with dinner, I can see it on my recovery index. So it's, you know, it, it is a big factor. So what you put into your system um, is the second one to be really mindful of. And then my third one is about the bedtime part, the, the routine. So, Carving out that that time for sleep as the start point, and then making sure you have that lead in so that you are winding down, that you're not in a place of kind of high energy, high stress, or even you know deeply engrossed in screens right to the last minute. But having that wind down time, it really is the bookends of the day, so the, you know the bedtime routine and the morning routine, and then what you're putting in your system. And then that's the basics, but I would say the most important, and I would almost be like as bold as to say unless you have those three things all like yep 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 then we don't you know let's get that right first and then see if we need to dig deeper and look at and see if there are any other factors you sparked a thought there because you mentioned about fixes and it made me think about how so many people live on caffeine as their you know their motor to get them started in the day and it's such a, a miss a misconception because whilst caffeine gives us that stimulation initially it's a, it can give you that boost it can give you that wake up feeling but it actually reduces blood flow to the brain ultimately it's actually not serving you it just feels like it is so I would look at like don't get me wrong I like coffee but I would just look at could you make any tweaks or reductions in that um, or even just in how you use it they could, I'll have one because I enjoy it, but I won't be like, oh my God, I need it. Like, you shouldn't need it. 
if you feel like you need it, why? Like what's going on? Yeah, I love that. I I really love that because I do. I believe that there's a lot of habits that we build and some of those habits can be the you're up morning coffee. But actually for for me, and I'm one of those people, for me, the smell of coffee in the morning is like such a serotonin enhancer for me. The smell of it, the thought of it, you know, going to the cupboard and picking out my favorite mug for that day. What, what I am affirmation or slogan do I feel today? And picking the mug. The first coffee, I only have one a day. The first coffee of my day, the only one I have is in the morning time. I actually find that I work very well first thing in the morning. I have practiced this and noticed that if I don't have my morning coffee and then plug into work on something, I normally keep the big task for the first thing, then I'm not as productive. Um, but I don't enjoy a coffee in the afternoon. I'm a, I'm a tea, a caffeine-free tea person in the afternoon. But one thing that came to mind with that is Caffeine itself is an adenosine blocker, an adenosine that builds up inside the brain, this chemical that builds in that sleep pressure and helps with our circadian rhythm. This is one thing that, you know, as we help our ladies to see this as well, and you probably do so with a lot of your your parents, because I'm sure they will try to turn to things like sugar and caffeine and alcohol at times to stimulate and keep them awake and, and motivate. But with that being an adenosine blocker, we can then have a direct impact around our sleep to wake cycle. So the, the adenosine is still there. It's still building up in the brain, but caffeine's almost coming in going, nah, you don't need to feel tired yet. But the body itself is going, oh, wait a minute. Like, who do I believe here? Because my sleep-wake cycle is telling me it's time for bed, but this caffeine's just come into the system and actually I don't know what to do. So that can become quite a stressor, can't it, on the body itself? Definitely, yeah. And it's it's confusing then. It's, you've got like these different things are fighting with each other and it, it can, yeah, it, it's that cycle yeah, do I need to go to sleep? Oh, no, 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 I've got this adrenaline coming through. I've got this energy. I feel alert. Wait, but I feel alert. But I also know that I'm really, really fatigued. Like, what's the body's tired? And and it, it's confusing, for sure. Definitely. There's one thing as well, just before we wrap up our, our episode together today, there's one thing that I've recognised. The more that I've been mindful of how my body feels in physical, but also in the kind of more emotional side. I have this thing I do, and I just want to see if you think this is, and I'm not going to use the word normal, but common in others. I have this thing where I call it um, toddler tantruming at nighttime. So I will get to a state in the evening where my body is fighting even being awake anymore. And I become very restless. You know, there's that point of kind of not restless leg syndrome. I don't suffer from that, thankfully, but I become twitchy. I can't sit still. I start to feel like my entire body is just agitated. And I always put that down to I've pushed my sleep barrier too far. My buildup of sleep pressure has almost been like a pressure cooker and that I've pushed it too far. Do you th- Do you agree with that? Do you think that's why I'm then having those episodes of just complete toddler meltdown tantrums (laughs) yeah it can be yeah so we can a couple of things could be going on but we one thing is that we can go through and out the other side of our ideal sleep window um so we talk about this a lot with children but it's the same for us so if we've missed that window when we would have 
been very ready for sleep, we do feel quite awake and wired. And then that may come out with positive or negative. You know, you might actually be partying and <laughs> full of beans and really happy, or you could be agitated. So that's like the second wind, you know, when you feel like, oh, I don't feel tired anymore. It's like, yeah, I passed that tired window. Um, then some of the agitation that can come from the limbic brain firing up. So you're tired. So the prefrontal cortex, where the rational thinking comes from, has gone to sleep. It's shut down for the night. But the limbic brain is like, well, I'll run the show then. And it's still there firing up. So that chimp-like behavior or the toddler tantrums and the, you know, maybe snappy or irrational thoughts. That's the other thing. Things you think when you're tired at bedtime, yeah, or in the middle of the night. The things that you think you, you, the life decisions you might make then just don't, just, just no. be like, Shh, I'm yeah. going to come back to this in the morning because it's a part of your brain that's not rational, that is awake at that point. So I, that's probably what, a mixture of what's going on. You've got a second wind that's being run by the limbic brain and not by, you know, your rational mind. So Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? And this is something where, yeah, I, I kind of just, I have that switch moment where I'm just like, I don't care what needs to be done. I need lights out. And it's just, a, you know, everybody sort yourself out. I'm away to my bed and literally just, I'm in my, like you, I, you know, have my bedtime routine. I'm washing my face, doing my teeth because I, I wear aligners. I've got all that to do as well. So it takes me a good half an hour of just doing the staples before I get into bed. And then it's face mask on and I am out and it is glorious. And it's quite interesting because something that my husband will say to me a lot is when my hormones are behaving themselves and that, you know, thankfully we, we, we kind of manage that quite well. When I say we, I mean me and my body. Um, But there are times where I don't and I can't control them. We can never control our hormones. We just, it's physically impossible to do that. But what we can do is, is make sure that we give the best opportunity and platform for them to behave. I recognize that if things are feeling quite balanced and well, and, you know, in that kind of homeostasis state, then I don't have any trouble falling asleep. I will be aware that I wake up through the night and I'll move. I am a bit of a mover. Um, But what I recognize when we're not in a really good balanced state is I will struggle to fall asleep and I need some form of, and this just shows you, I mean, my husband laughs at it and says, you know, you'll never, ever find anyone that will do this for you like I have. But since we've been together and we've been married for 15 years, Every single night, bar maybe one or two nights in a year, Sean will actually tickle my back to relax my brain. And this comes from when we talk about it and bring this into your world. I had my back tickled every single night by my mum when I was a baby and she just loved to to do it. And it, it came all the way through my teenage years. She would still tickle my back. And then when Sean and I got together, that was just something that, you know, again, we get into bed and he'll give me a five minute to 10 minute tickle back. And I am out. The nights that he doesn't do it, or when we're apart and I travel for for business, um, I struggle to fall asleep. So we have to be mindful that I'm a 40 year old woman who still has her back tickled by now her husband because her mum used to do that. And that's how I would fall asleep as a baby. I do that to my for my 13 year old son. Well, he is going to be a 40 year old man having his wife tickle his back. <laughs> because, But because my mum would do that for me and I've 
do that thing. My daughter, on the other hand, she didn't like it. She's like, oh, this is not horrible. But he's like me, and he. But actually, I um, as a child, I used to think I'm going to invent a machine that can do this for me. But I noticed a, a salon near me. Actually, I was, I was scheduling a massage, and I noticed that's actually a form of massage that you can now pay to go and have, and it's light touch massage, and so that. That really gentle, gentle, like yeah. soft stimulation, but it's so soothing and relaxing. And you have, you can now actually book that as a as a treatment. <laughs> yeah, we all we do. We have running jokes of this because um, he'll say to me things like, you know, I want to come and work for you in your company, and I'll be like, amazing. I don't have anything for you to do. I'm very brutal. Don't have anything for you to do right now that would merit me paying you a salary. So, um, and he's like, well, can I not be your professional back tickler? I'm like, you're that anyway, and I don't pay you to do it so <laughs> but this you know is finding the things that work for us right and that's something that I've recognized that if I am struggling to fall asleep then that's one solution or tool in my toolbox but I can't do it to myself so you definitely need to go and invent that machine <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah oh it's not the same it needs it's human contact isn't it they teach they actually teach that in hypnobirthing I did hypnobirthing and that was one of the things they said for the partner to do to just do that light touch tickle as I call it as well but it's a kind of massage and it's so it is really soothing and I'm guessing as well all the all the home all the good hormones come out from that too this has been glorious I could speak to you all day about this type of thing it's just fascinating and we've only just scratched the surface of sleep and you know, we know we need it or we will perish. We cannot go without sleep. But so many of us will naturally think that we don't need it and jeopardize our ongoing health. And we know as well that the brain itself repairs and heals, bone repairs and heals, our entire cellular system of our physical and emotional being heals and repairs and grows stronger during sleep. So if we can do between Lucy and I one big beautiful invitation to each of you listening to this right now is please do not take away your sleep opportunity but rather let's flip it around and imagine if you gave yourself just 30 minutes of additional sleep opportunity for the next week and then check back in with us let us know how that feels for you how is your skin looking how is your nails and hair and that's a big thing isn't it the physical things that we can see just by getting a little bit more sleep you can actually slow down aging. Yes, proven, isn't it? So the next time that you need to take a sleep, you do it. And you think to yourself, this is the best form of anti-aging if you are. And I, have, I don't know, that's another topic, isn't it? Because a lot of people say, well, why would we be anti-aging? It's a privilege to be growing older each and every single day. But we do definitely have this part where nobody likes to look in the mirror and think, wow, I'm getting a lot older. And it's not just looks. It's the aging of our organs, of our, you know, every part of our body. And so keeping it in a younger, healthier state, it's not all about, not all about image. Not all about, yeah, I love that. Oh, what a glorious way to end this beautiful podcast. Lucy Shrimpton, Sleep Nanny, thank you so much for being present with us and affording us your beautiful brain. Thank you for having me. You are super welcome. I truly hope this episode has sparked something vibrant inside of you. I ask only one thing. To help keep these episodes coming, please subscribe and share with another in your life. That's how we reach more women worldwide and we help them step into their power. 
because together we are working to remove any of the stigma and taboo that surrounds menopause. This does not need to be a daunting, a scary, a taboo time in anyone's life. So together, let's make menopause mainstream.